one moment, a business is on top of its game, profitable and well-respected. In the next moment, it could be the victim of a major fraud with potentially catastrophic consequences, financial losses, damaged reputation, diminished stakeholder value, scrutiny, even bankruptcy. These stories are all too common in today's business headlines. While some organizations recover, others don't make it. How do you minimize the risk of fraud and avoid the devastation? Welcome to Fraud Talk with host Chris Marquet. Our goal is to prevent your organization from becoming one of the statistics. Now, here is Chris Marquet. Welcome, welcome, and good morning, Fraud Talkers. I am your host, Chris Marquet, on the Voice America Online Radio Network. Uh, We've got another terrific show for you today, as the topic of discussion is fraud in the intellectual property arena, and that means counterfeiting, gray marketing, and theft of intellectual property, enforcing it, and protecting it. My special guest today is intellectual property attorney extraordinaire Harley Lewin from the law firm of McCarter in English, based out of New York City and we will be getting to Harley in a few minutes here. But first, uh, let's remember our mantra, folks, in every organization. At any time, there's always somebody who's up to no good. And Fraud Talk is here to help uh, educate the business community about the perils and pitfalls of fraud in today's economy and what we can do about it. Hopefully, we're here to help tamp it down, squelch it, and shed some light on it, and stem the tide of fraud. Remember, the call-in line, if you'd like to join the discussion, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. If you would like to join the discussion this morning, uh, you can also find us uh, online on all the major social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. We are at Fraud Talk, and we use the hashtag Fraud Talk, one word. Also follow our blog, Fraud Talk on Blogspot, and you can contact me directly, Chris at MarquetInternational.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-E-T, International, all one word, dot com, if you've got a question, comment, or suggested fraud of the week. Uh, we are going to skip the fraud of the week again this week uh, because I want to give you a little bit more about the just-released 2013 Marquet report on embezzlement, uh, which we just repeat, we, uh, completed the report and, down- and it can be downloaded from our website at marquetinternational.com or you can simply email me at chris at marquetinternational.com and I will send you a copy. I think that this uh, report is our best embezzlement report yet. It's our sixth annual installment of this white paper. Uh, The reason I started writing and publishing this report is because employee misconduct has always been uh, sort of a specialty of mine in the investigative arena. And having done this sort of thing now for more than 30 years, I started blogging about it back in 2008. And then um, uh, this translated uh, uh, into the academic paper that uh, is now known as the the Marquet Report on Embezzlement uh, every year. Uh, I also did one on Ponzi schemes, which is also uh, a fascinating read, Uh, but if you're at all interested in fraud prevention, understanding employee theft, then this this report is a uh, a must read. There's nothing like it out there, my friends, and and we keep improving on it year over year. Uh, In the 2013 uh, report, we identified and examined 554 major embezzlement cases in the United States, those with losses of at least $100,000 to companies and other organizations, government entities and nonprofits, etc. I'd like to introduce uh, Harley Lewin. Harley, uh, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Chris, and thanks for having me. Sure, my pleasure. 
the uh, Harley, I want to just tell our audience, Harley is an intellectual property uh, attorney, and uh, he helps enforce patents and trademarks internationally, going after counterfeiting all over the world. He's currently a partner at the law firm of McCarter and English, based out of New York City. Uh, McCarter's got over 400 lawyers in about nine offices in the Northeast between Washington, D.C. and Boston. And uh, Harley, let me just uh, read a little bit about your background, if you don't mind. Uh, Harley has over 40 years of experience traveling around the world to protect uh, trademarks, designs, ideas, and his clients' businesses generally. His practice is primarily in three areas. First, the development and implementation of global brand protection strategies. This includes groundbreaking efforts in tracking and stopping the flow of fake or infringing goods around the world, working directly with governments, law enforcement, courts, and customs in over 75 countries, and implementing new and cost-effective methods to protect his clients' most valued assets. Uh, Mr. Lewin's uh, second area of concentration is major case litigation in the U.S. dealing with trademarks, trade dress, copyright, unfair competition, anti-counterfeiting, infringement, and similar issues in all of the federal circuits, appeals in many of the federal circuits, and in a number of the state courts in the United States, uh, as well as in territories and its possession. Uh, he is an AV-rated litigator and is routinely interviewed in national and international media for his expertise in global anti-counterfeiting specialists. His third area of expertise lies with transactional and counseling work, not only domestic and international licensing programs, but the review, audit, revision, and development of a comprehensive document program for use by his clients in their global dealing, inclusive of manufacturing, supply, distribution, import, export, marketing, and advertising, as well as day-to-day -day strategic counseling. Mr. Lewin is unique with a body of knowledge that often is brought to bear working with clients to avoid problems as they expand and do business around the world. And it goes on. You have handled, uh, Harley, uh, huge cases around the globe. You're regularly featured on, on various uh, media outlets uh, as an expert. And uh, I'll just say, to those of you who want to uh, reach Harley, uh, he is at McCarter in English, which is www.mccarter.com. Uh, how's that, Harley? That's uh, more than I would have said about myself. <laughs> well, how did you, um, I know we only, okay, we're, we're running to a break, and we're going to, uh, we're going to get into how you started in this industry in the first place in a, in a few seconds here, two minutes when we come back from break. Sure. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. 
Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses, as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. Workplaces are only as strong as their teams. Teams are only as strong as their individual members. Are you seeking a better way to take your business to a higher level? We're here to help. Listen for Leading with Social-Emotional Intelligence, Building Trust Through Intentionality and Vulnerability with host Glenn Harris. Together, we'll explore the five key behaviors of a cohesive team and other concepts designed to keep your team working smarter. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at marquetinternational.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. And welcome back, Fraud Talkers. I am your host, Chris Marquet. My special guest today is Harley Lewin. He is an attorney with the law firm of McCarter and English, and his expertise is uh, counterfeiting and protection of intellectual property around the world. And just to give you uh, guys uh, a bit of uh, an idea, he uh, defended one of the largest beverage companies in the U.S. in a trade dress action involving canned graphics in the energy drink sector. He represented a U.S. footwear company in connection with an investigation and criminal and civil proceedings regarding illegal imports and seizure of over $2.5 million in counterfeit merchandise. He coordinated in Latin America a three-country customs effort to interdict flow of counterfeit goods, conducted a multi-district litigation for multiple watch brands, seized over 800,000 watches and over a million dollars in cash, breaking four global organizations with a $4.5 million contempt judgment which he obtained and most recently uh, he's been engaged in cutting-edge litigation involving non-traditional trademarks such as colors shapes fragrances and sounds welcome back Harley thank you Chris glad to be here still so uh, you have been doing this for over 40 years now how did you first get into the whole area of, uh, of, of protecting companies and their intellectual property and and, and fighting the, the whole counterfeit battle. I, it's a long story. I'll try to make it as short as I can. 
I was an attorney, I still am, but I had a practice that was primarily representing musicians, performers, and people in the entertainment industry. Some, one of the groups that I represented many years ago was a merchandising company that had the authority to sell their various T-shirts and things that you find at concerts. And they called me, and they had said that there were people on the street that were selling T-shirts. Um, could I figure out a way to stop them? And uh, we did. We, we went to court, and we got what was then the first national John Doe restraining order, um, uh, against, you know, unknown street vendors. And then we had to go run around the country, of course, and teach all these police and marshals that uh, not only did we have a court order out in New York, but they ought to enforce it in Kansas City. Uh, but that's how it got started. And wow. <clears throat> we got known for, for doing that kind of work. And then we were, um, I was approached by a gentleman who was, starting a new clothing division for a very, very small Boston company. It actually was, uh, when I met them, they were three guys who had taken a license from a British company to sell the British shoes in the United States. And this fourth fellow was being retained to start, you know, a T-shirt uh, a division because at that time, T-shirts with the name of athletes and athletics on them was just starting out. That's how old I am. And uh, uh, he asked me, he said, I know I'm going to get counterfeited, so can you help me? So I said, I don't know, but I'll, I'll certainly try. And the next thing we know is that these, these three gentlemen that had started this little company um, had developed a little tiny shoe called the Freestyle Shoe, um, it was a white indoor aerobic shoe that hit the indoor aerobics uh, sector big time uh, when, the, when the sector was exploding and this was a shoe designed for that purpose. In those days, everybody felt that if you, if you simply changed the name on the shoe, um, you could make it. And we decided to come up with a program that said, no, we wanted to protect the sides of the shoe. That, those three guys uh, had a little company up in Boston. Uh, my annual budget, I think, was uh, about $10,000 to start. So that, that could tell you how long ago it was. Um, but they became Reebok. And right. we grew with them. And as they grew, uh, they faced these problems around the world. And we, we started getting known for that. And other footwear companies sort of called us and joined in the party. And that's how it started. Wow. So you must have had a, uh, or you could have had a, a field day at the various Grateful Dead concerts I used to go to where everybody was putting out their own uh, T-shirt with logos and things of the of the band that, the, who, yeah, who frankly, yeah. they didn't care. But well, uh, was known for that. You know, the Dead didn't care, but there were, remember that many times these artists had taken advances, uh, you know, payments, to license a merchandising company, right. and the merchandising companies cared a lot. Right, right. That's how it started. In 1980, about 1979. Wow. So, uh, 
I want to get. I want to. I want to ask you about the Sony Entertainment Entertainment hacking incident uh, recently. I mean, this. I mean, this gets into areas of intellectual property, uh, proprietary data, um, breaching with you know with potential government entities involved. Uh, would you care to comment on this the, the, that case? Well, I think it's unfortunate. I, I, you know, this is one of those which is lose lose. Um, it, 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 they, they always say in the entertainment business, no publicity is bad publicity. Um, maybe. I mean, I've heard mixed stories about the quality of the movie itself. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, it, it is unfortunately the world we live in. Um, that, you know, people, in this case, most likely the North Korean government, um, took umbrage, uh, as they are wont to do. And had the had the apparent ability to hack into uh, um, our major corporations' data and embarrass that corporation and put some credibility behind threats to embarrass more. I happen to agree with President Obama on this one. I don't think Sony should have backed off, but I'm not sure Sony had a choice because the chains themselves started backing away. Um, you know, it's a constant issue when you are on the internet and when you function using when your business functions using you know public access to provide for the stuff you do really, which is you know fraud prevention, which is to notch up the security level that they have so that they can't get hacked. But I'm not entirely sure that these hackers, who were clearly the super professional sort, wouldn't have necessarily hacked someone else because this was hacking for a political motive. Um, it wasn't hacking for fun and profit, so to speak. Right. So right. I, I, think it's, I think everybody loses. It's just a, a tough situation. So they basically just have to take the hit. I mean, it's it sounds like they're just releasing they the, took the hit. They the, took the, the hit. You know, yeah. I, I, it cats out of the bag. I mean, you can't put the genie back in the bottle on this one. But but would I roll that movie out now? You bet I would. And um, what was what I think was an unfortunate move is, is and I think Sony thought they were being terribly clever um, when they rolled it out via the internet um, because they had an independent chain. You know, the independent theaters were prepared to carry it. And the independents were were angry because they don't often get a chance to carry a major motion picture. So I'm not sure that I would have necessarily strategically agreed with Sony. Um, as a side note, by the way, I hear that the Chinese, who are apparently viewing bootleg versions of this movie, love the movie. Um, there have been over 300,000 favorable tweets on Weibo, which is their chat, one of their chat rooms, um, of people that have watched this movie in China and absolutely love it because it's the send-up of North Korea. So, uh, at least in China, Sony looks great. <laughs> so, how we've got a couple of minutes before the end of this segment. How big a problem is counterfeiting for U.S. manufacturing? Well, uh, it, it, it's huge. 
you know, you, you, there's no there's no way around it. If you have a brand, you're being counterfeited. If, if you know, on a worldwide basis, the estimate is somewhere from three to seven percent of the world's trade, some somewhere in the neighborhood of three hundred and fifty billion dollars. Um, the United States has probably between fifty and sixty percent of that number. Um, yeah. As, as an overall valuation of the amount of counterfeit goods, um, it, the hit that the, that the companies take varies. You know, some companies are fairly large and can absorb at least some of it. Uh, some smaller companies that have, you know, selected products and brands that begin to hit and uh, have counterfeit issues uh, take a disproportionate uh, hit of damage to them, and it can put them, if not out of business, down, way down. So it's it makes sense uh, to have a an, an aggressive uh, program to protect the brands and protect the products, and uh, to go after yeah. counterfeitings where they are. Yeah, yeah, you okay. can't can't live like an ostrich or whatever it is with your head in the sand. You know, you, 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 if you're going to expand beyond the four walls of your initial business, or if you're at least thinking about expanding across the United States or into other territories, it, the, smart, the smart way to do it is to develop a strategic program, not just to throw money at the, on the squeaky wheel, you know, because a distributor starts screaming in some foreign country, uh, you need to plan ahead. You need to acquire the rights that are necessary, and you need to, you know, and, and with good global counsel that, you know, can really coach you through a program that can match your financial resources. Not everybody has the same resources, so you have to prioritize. Sure. Well, we're going to take a break. We'll, we'll get into some of that uh, after, the next, uh, after the next break. We'll be back in two minutes. You bet. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? 
Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for The Second Stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at marquetinternational.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. And welcome back, Fraud Talkers. I'm your host, Chris Marquet, and we are talking today with Harley Lewin, who is an intellectual property uh, attorney uh, with McCarter in English, based out of New York City. Uh, he's a, uh, uh, a lawyer extraordinaire, has uh, a long and uh, fetid history of protecting um, uh, companies' brands and going after counterfeiters all over the world. Uh, welcome back, Harley. Thank you, Chris. So we were talking about how big this problem is in, in, for U.S. manufacturers in the United States, and you, you threw out some pretty staggering numbers, uh, which is, I think, I think we all have kind of a sense of that. Um, what, and we always think of China as like the biggest offender of, uh, you know, knocking off goods, you name it, whether it's music CDs or movies to, uh, you know, watches and, and, and textile shoes, etc. Um, number A, is this true? And B, what are some of the other countries that have become a problem in this, in this area? Well, uh, yes, it's true. China's the big bad boy. Uh, of that, there's little doubt. The United States Customs Service, together with other customs all around the world, tracks with their own seizures, and, and they probably keep the best records of the sources of these goods that they seize. And, and something in the neighborhood of 80 to 85%, if not more, it depends on the year, are goods which have their origin in China. Wow, so, that's a and, huge and percentage. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's, a, it's a big problem. The, the, that doesn't deal, though, with the two other factors. One, other countries, as well as domestic issues. Um, mm-hmm. Nobody tracks the amount of domestic counterfeiting that goes on because there is no centralized... I mean, the FBI does some, local police do some, you know, the Drug Enforcement Administration does some, U.S. Customs does some, um, and, and there's plenty of civil litigation where that isn't necessarily tracked in any given country. But there are certain other countries that pose very, very serious issues. Um, I, think, I think that you will find as you go forward, it, it, it will vary somewhat depending upon the product. For example, India is a notorious country for pharmaceuticals, fake pharmaceuticals. Mm. Uh, right. People are constantly searching for low-priced drugs. 
Um, if you, you know, if you read a patent, you can make Viagra now. Once you have the chemistry, you can make it in a bathtub. You need to obtain the chemicals, and India has la- relatively lax regulatory system that deals with those issues. So you find um, those kinds of products emanate from India. You find publications uh, and uh, of that kind uh, often are from Taiwan, and you're going to find, I think, um, as production gets more expensive in China, it's already gone way up beyond where it used to be. Uh, companies around the world move low-priced goods to countries that can make the, the simpler product. If you take a shoe, uh, you know, the Air Jordan is a very complicated shoe to make, but um, a simple white sneaker might not be, and, and you might leave you the Air Jordan for production in China, but you'll move the simpler product that needs a lower cost base to Vietnam or to Indonesia or to Malaysia, all three of which have a nascent uh, but growing uh, uh, industry of fakes. If you're talking about, uh, uh, and I have had this, uh, I know this may seem difficult, but a fake Uzi submachine gun, um, those came from Middle European countries, Romania and Bulgaria. Um, as well as Russia. Um, but, but we think our, our, um, our forecast, as it were, shows that um, there is some growth of, a, of the counterfeit industry and footwear and apparel in Latin America, Nicaragua, El Salvador, and so forth. But the bigger growth that we expect to be in Vietnam, Indonesia, and Malaysia. Right, Southeast Asia, uh, Philippines yep. too. I would imagine. Um, yep. The um, yep. so I mean, when when so much of this stuff is coming out of China, and and you're on a regular basis dealing with enforcement issues, I mean, this it must get a, sometimes a little dicey and odd dealing with the Chinese authorities on these on these cases. No, well, I I I I've, I've been going back and forth to China since 1982. Um, yeah, uh, at one point I had a client with me and we were negotiating with law enforcement from uh, Shanghai and, um, they got a little testy and we got a little testy. And as we walked out, my client turned to me and he said, Harley, he said, do you have any idea how close you were to going to jail? And I went, well, you know, I'm here representing you. Just said I got to do what I got to do, and <laughs> I found I found that if you if you take the time to really sort of understand and work with the people, whether they're in China or Mexico or Japan or what have you, for the most part, you find, and I'm sure you found this too at your end, right? You find that law enforcement has an initial reluctance to deal with a civilian, but once they realize that you can talk cop pretty good and that you you know you know your way around the ballpark, as it were, um, they relax and you can start to help each other. Um, the Chinese culture makes sometimes makes things a bit more difficult, but not impossible. 
and, uh, and, you know, we read about how, I mean, occasionally they like to make a show of, oh, yeah, we, have, we do protect, uh, you know, we do respect right, you know, patent rights and, 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 uh, and whatnot around, you know, around the globe. So, you know, we got, you know we're going to put the, a half a million dollar, uh, half a million CDs in a pile and burn them in the city square. And this, I mean, you actually helped cause some of that to happen, don't you? Yeah, we did. We we uh, we we actually had a a, a mass burning of, of of shoes that were seized for Christian Louboutin. And normally, uh, they don't permit uh, um, uh, civilians to attend those things. But at, we we made a request up through certain channels, and we were actually permitted to be there and film it. The the you know they to correct one slight misimpression that people may have out there. The central government of China, we think, is pretty good um, in terms of its ultimate desire to lead by example, especially now with this the crackdown that's gone on on corruption and so forth. It, it, it's really, uh, it's got very modern law on the books. The, the real issue is more the middle level. Um, the, the mayors of or, or local representatives of various cities who you know, get judged on keeping employment and labor issues. And, and we've had cases where um, where we'll go to the, the local law enforcement on something that's really bad stuff, uh, fake pharmaceutical, for example, uh, um, injectable, what they call injectables that plump your face. And, and the police have said, you know, we need to call the local minister and let him know before we do this raid. And I said, why? And they said, well... The local minister's the guy who's responsible for the building of that factory, and of course, that raid never took place. And and ultimately, we had to go to the national government, the central government, and go to the what they call the state or national FDA in order to get authority to go around the local FDA that was clearly under the thumb of a minister. Um, so you there are, you have to. You have to sort of work the system. You can't buck the system. Um, and, and therein lies the great difficulty because a lot of people go over to China or someplace else and feel like they can export the lessons that they may have learned in another country, and they're just wrong. Um, and they get very frustrated, and it's very difficult. Um, but you got to, you know, if you stay the course and, and you're patient with it, um, and a little bit creative, you can you can make a dent. You won't eliminate it. It's too profitable. It's way more profitable than narcotics. Um, you're not going to eliminate it. Yeah, uh, it's my impression that uh, we have got about a minute and a half or so. It's my impression that we, uh, you know, you have a factory that you contract to make the shoe, let's say, and. Um, you know, it's it's run. You know, it's it's uh, running whatever two shifts or three shifts, uh, and there's a, a fourth shift that's that's running just uh, producing extra shoes that, that are going out the back door. I mean, is that more common than actually a separate factory starting up and and doing the knockoff? Or so it's really the actual product that's being um, no. generated beyond, or, or what, no. what? How does that work? It used to be. 
but but years ago we used to have we used to find factories that were they would be tent factories. We actually found a factory in Taiwan that was making canvas tents by day and fake Reebok shoes at night. But mm. but the the idea of the of the the sort of fourth shift um, it it does occur. It does. I can't say that it won't occur. But major producers have to have rocks in their head to jeopardize their relationship with brands by running a force shift. Their legitimate business is generally so profitable that that's not what happens. What happens is the product sort of migrates to a factory down the road. Um, if you if you look at footwear, footwear, the out, outsole of footwear needs a mold. Um, the molds get borrowed by uncle so-and-so, you know, from his nephew, and his nephew may have a legitimate job. But generally speaking, you got to remember something, and this is the mistake I think a lot of people make, and I'll be brief. Factories don't sell anything. Factories make things. People go to factories and place orders, and that includes bad guys. Bad guys go to factories with a sample product and say, make this. In China, the factories don't ask anything. They'll say, sure, we'll make this for you. Um, and half the time, they don't even know they're making a fake. Right. They just are given something to make. It, the guys that we focus on, the people that, if you want to make a difference, you got to find the guy who's going to the factory and saying, make this for me. All right, we're gonna have to ta- we're gonna we're gonna have to take a break there, Harley. When, when we come back, uh, Harley's gonna tell us a- about uh, a couple of his uh, most favorite cases, and we'll be back in two minutes. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. 
From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at marquetinternational.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. And welcome back, Fraud Talkers. My guest today is Harley Lewin. We've been talking about counterfeiting and uh, protecting um, brands uh, around the globe. Uh, Harley, uh, and particularly in China, has been a major problem for 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 a long time uh, and will continue to be so in the uh, in the foreseeable future. Uh, you also mentioned a series of other up-and-coming uh, locales, uh, depending on the industry, depending on the, uh, the products that seem to be uh, uh, creeping into the, the scheme of things and, and when it comes to counterfeits. Um, tell us a bit, and I know you also represent international companies. Tell us about uh, maybe uh, one of your favorite uh, cases. Uh, describe that, and, uh, and maybe there are some lessons uh, that, that were learned. Well, one of the very well-known cases is a, is a, a case by the name of uh, Reebok versus McLaughlin, Byron McLaughlin. And uh, this was probably oh, 15, 20 years ago. We had two cases back-to-back. Both of them involved Americans doing business in Mexico. Um, the first was Byron McLaughlin. He was known as the Byron of tennis in Mexico, and he had offices in Southern California and counter offices in Mexico City, and he had taken virtually 20% of the marketplace from a group of footwear companies that we acted for, New Balance, Converse, Reebok, Nike, Adidas, and I can't remember the other one, Ace, uh, Puma, and... When we went after him, we had to use a, uh, a, a quite a ploy. Uh, we, 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 we did. We, we got him into the, we, we induced him to come into the United States. And working with U.S. Customs in Arizona, um, Nogales, Arizona, actually, in Tucson, he, he got himself indicted there. We got him indicted. We got him arrested. The judge uh, made bail on him. We, we pleaded with the judge not to give him bail. And sure enough, within two days, he was in France. I went to the State Department. Um, it took a while. We located him in France. And he, um, he gave interviews with people. And he wrote, um, uh, uh, because we were being so tenacious, he wrote the United States Attorney's Office in Washington, D.C., that accused, he wrote a letter that accused myself and the prosecutor of, in Arizona, the U.S. prosecutor's attorney, of having an unusually close relationship with each other. <laughs> it, 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 it was the most bizarre letter. I mean, it was truly bizarre. And, and, and we, we, we missed him in France. Then we got him arrested in France. Um, he, he ran, he somehow or other wound up in the Ivory Coast. Uh, we tracked him to the Ivory Coast. We got him arrested in the Ivory Coast. He was wearing a fake Rolex. He gave the fake Rolex to his guards. He got back to France and somehow or other became a major investor in French 
commerce in a matter of weeks, and the feds refused then to try to indict him again. Wow. We gave, we gave 20% of the marketplace back to the brands. That, that was one of the very few times we were able to um, really track the impact that we had um, back then. Um, and, and since then, we've had, you know, we've had quite a few other cases, um, but that's one of the most notorious because of the, the legal aspects involved as well as the, the sort of tenacious chasing of this guy all over the world because he was just such a bad actor. So, Harley, so, I mean, it goes to the point of, you know, really, if you if you're if your company's all about brand, which is, let's say, a Reebok or a Nike, it's all about the brand, or even, you know, Apple, uh, name, name any major co- company today, it's all about the brand. I mean, you, re- you really have to protect that, and you have to take steps. I mean, if you're not going to protect it, you know, uh, the void is going to get filled with, uh, with others. Uh, yep. am, am I right? You are, 100%. So, an aggressive approach, which you described. Uh, t- tell us a little bit. Just, just give us a little sense of how you know what what, what would a pro- what kind of elements would in, be included in sort of a an, uh, a comprehensive well, program to protect the brand. Sure, um, we actually have a, a sort of an mo uh, uh, that we follow. If if somebody comes into us and and either is growing, maybe growing, is worried about uh, things, or has, you know, tripped over the counterfeit somewhere in the world. Essentially, the program that we go through follows a, a series of steps. Uh, the first thing that we do is we look at the client's business. Um, where, where, what are the products that they're making? How do they package those products? Where do they make them? Where are their primary markets that they sell them? Where are, how do they ship their goods? And at a second level, if they're growing, uh, where, where do they expect to be expanding in the short term and where do they expect to be expanding in the long term? When we take a look at all of those, we, we then put together, based on our own experience, uh, you know, sort of an A list, the B list, and the C list. An A list are the countries that we think that the, that, that company has to attend to immediately. The B list is really as soon as possible. And the C list is if God blesses you with a bag of money. Um, we're not always that interested in Sri Lanka. Um, China always looms high on the, on the, uh, the totem of importance, as does the U.S. Um, so after we do that, we, we then take a look at the intellectual property that the client already owns, or if they own any and, and what kind. Uh, after we do an analysis of that, we'll then recommend to the client um, all kinds of uh, either trademarks or copyrights or design patents or utility patents or multiple trademark applications in foreign languages or in the subclasses based on the nuances that you learn about this kind of work around the world. Um, it, it, the, the bottom line is you cannot predict where you're going to get hit, and how you're going to get hit. So what you try to do is put as many arrows in the quiver as you can so that if you come up upon somebody making a counterfeit version of your handbag and they haven't, you know, you, you haven't got a terrible original handbag, but you have the corners of the handbag 
are original and you, you were lucky enough to think about that, you got a design patent on the corners where you could stop the knockoffs. So, so the analysis that we go through is taking a look at the client and then trying to be a bit creative. Sometimes you can't protect the product, but you can protect the box that the product is made in by, by, by a copyright, or you can protect the print on a dress or, and so when you try to match all of that up with a, a recommended series of steps, 80% of which can be done by a client in-house, 20% you need people like us who you know, run around the world and, and, and know how to do that sort of thing. And then you try to build a layer or several layers of protection, registration. I'll give you an example if I, if I have the time. We're, 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 we got about 10 seconds. Okay, you, you, would, you would record your English trademark in China. You would also record your Chinese translation of that trademark in China. And then you would probably record a third version, which is the version that bad guys might use that you don't decide to use, which is the version that sounds like your trademark but doesn't mean it. Right. So you, have, you would have three levels of recordation to protect yourself in China. That sounds good, Harley. Well, listen, we're uh, we're going to have to uh, cut it, end it here now. I want to thank you for uh, for joining me today. Uh, we appreciate it very much. Uh, your uh, your expertise and uh, thank you, Harley. Oh, it's Chris. It's been my pleasure. Anytime. Yep, and to join us next Monday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for another edition of Fraud Talk, uh, where we will continue our discussion on relationship fraud with my guest, Mark Chapetta, one of the great field investigators that I know. And once again, thank you, Harley, for joining us. Uh, we'll speak to everybody next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Fraud Talk this week. Please join Chris Marquet again next Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Don't become a victim of fraud. Tune in for another show soon. Music.